Hi, I'm Natalie Gawkner. This is Both Sides of the Aisle. I'm with Shireen Gorbani on the left and John Dougal on the right. Hello to both of you. Hey, Happy New Year. Hi, listeners. Happy New Year. We are uh, taping this a little ahead of time so we can take some time off, and we've got a, a New Year show. Are you telling the behind-the-scenes secrets <laughs> yeah, of what yeah. goes we're, on? We're taping this before the New Year, we're but, doing three but we shows, got lots of back good to stuff. Back to back to back. It's true. We got great stuff, and I'm going to start uh, by just asking both of you to opine about uh, the biggest stories of 2023. What What comes to your mind? And I'll start so you guys have a chance to just think about it. I'm going to go with Nikki Haley. Mm. And I'm going to go with that because who would have known that she would have the rise that she's had and that she would be looking right now as the most likely Republican to emerge uh, in front of Donald Trump. I mean, I realize it's a long it's ways a to long go. Shot, but it's, it's a long shot, the others. but it's better than the others. Yeah. And she's acquitted herself so well. She represents um, issues so well. Uh, her international experience is so timely with what we have right now. And I think uh, the Nikki Haley story is my story of the year. Yeah. Shereen, what do you want to go with? Well, mine's dark. Um, okay. Yikes. I, I think there, there are two competing stories that are loom large in my mind. I think on the international stage, war, certainly. We've talked quite a bit about what's happening um, both in, you know, um, Israel, Gaza, Ukraine. Those trends are are distressing. Um, I think right here at home, living in post-Roe America is turning out to be quite dangerous and scary for a lot of people. Um, and I know we have the recency effect of this horrific story out of <clears throat> Texas with a woman named Kate Cox who needed, wanted to preserve her fertility, wanted to have an intervention approved by a, a judge. That was granted. It was then overturned, and she was forced to leave Texas to seek health care to, you know, terminate a pregnancy that was going to produce a child that would s suffer um, and, and could also uh, terminate her ability to have future children. And um, I just I was haunted by a, an article that I read about it by Jessica Valenti in which she wrote, anyone who has been horrified by what has happened to Kate Cox needs to understand that the cruelty does not stop with her story. And it certainly won't stop for you. And I think the further we get into this um, reality, the more complicated and painful these stories are. The frequency will increase, and we're going to have to figure out how we move forward. No question you're going to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so two dark things coming from Shireen. I, I, my mother uh, made me an optimist and a hopeful person, John, so I went with Nikki Haley. What are you going to go with for biggest story of 2023? So I'm... Um, Mine are probably uh, problematic as well, but I'm going to say, first of all, you know, we're dealing with war in Ukraine, and all of a sudden we had Hamas's attack on Israel, mm -hmm. and I think that rocked uh, the world, rocked a lot of people in the, the U.S. The the devastation that took place, the sudden unexpected attack that was that took place, yeah. you know, troubled a lot of people. Going, okay, we got war here, and now we got war here. What does that mean to the U.S.? Yeah. Um, one of the other dynamics is more... And then Pal we, I mean, we have to acknowledge the incredible loss of Palestinian life as well. Yeah, yeah, and the response and everything else like that. Yeah. And, 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 and the difficult situations both sides are living in. It's horrific. And then you go to uh, the dynamics of uh, crypto and you got Sam Bankman-Fried and his uh, conviction and everything else like this, this supposed wonder kid and all of a sudden the fall from grace and the devastation there and, and, and the, the rapid conviction that took place 
Um, I think that is a also a major story, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm challenging both of you, and we we have not prepped for this. This is all spontaneous. We are in a coffee shop talking right now. Yeah. Uh, what about if we localize? When are this? they bringing the drinks? Yeah. What's yeah. the biggest story of 2023 in Utah? And again, I'll I'll give you just a second there to think about it, but I'm going to go with Great Salt Lake. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to go with. Okay. okay yeah. Go I on. Go went first. No, I, well, can, I got I, more. I've worked in public policy for more than three decades. It's very rare that you work on something that has hemispheric implications. This one does. And uh, it's it, you know, it reached its lowest point in recorded history. And that has economic ramifications, health ramifications, and ecological ramifications. So that was an easy one for me. Yeah. So um, I'll try to take a more positive spin. I do think the Olympics is a massive story for Utah. It is when we think about the implications in terms of uh, what it means for the next 10 years of decisions that will be made, investments in housing, infrastructure, uh, the opportunity to really feature this state on a, a global scale. Uh, it's, I think, a story that has a potential for hope, promise, opportunity, like all of uh, a lot of good, big, positive things. And I'm trying to stay more optimistic about the impact of the Olympics on the people who live here um, and maybe see it as an opportunity to address some of our issues around affordable housing or housing stock. Right. Um, and hope that we make those decisions with with equity and with, uh, you know, community, long-term community building and investment front and center. Okay, John, local story. Are you going to go, are you going to go bright or dark? Well, I'm going to go with the dynamic of uh, Utah's trying to provide for their families. All right. And stuff. And so there's, you know, great optimism and, you know, whenever you have a family, you know, you've got optimism about the future and yet you've got the dynamics, which is okay. Uh, the cost of providing for them, the, the the cost of buying food, housing, you know, we talk about housing supply, other things like that. And gas. the pressures, gas, everything, you know, you know, uh, softening an economy and what that means to jobs and all those type of things, which is you got this mix of optimism and yet you've got this concern about how do you provide and how do you, you know, you want a good long-term life with your family and how do you provide? Interesting. Yeah. John, I, I did an interview with the KSL radio a week or so ago, but they were really pressing me on inflation. They wanted to know, you know, what does this mean for Utahns? And it's just, it's so bad. And what's going on? And I was able to share yes, with... tell us now. <laughs> tell us. Well, you know, it's and come down from like 9% to, you know, 3.2, 3.4%. I mean, it's it's on the right trajectory. But I was able to point out to the hosts that that at least for the most recent future, wages have been growing faster than inflation. And it's interesting how people don't, you know, focus on that, don't know that. So I, I just thought you'd find that comforting. Yeah, yeah. And that depends on if you're the one getting the wages increased versus. Yeah, but I'm just saying not, overall. Uh, I mean, inflation overall. It's the uh -huh. same thing with inflation. Are, uh -huh. if, a macro picture. If a huge part of inflation is a shelter, and if you own your home, it doesn't affect you. Right. So my inflation is a lot lower than someone that's paying rent. Right. So you know, whatever. Okay, let's do another one. Um, I want to do a quote of the year. Okay. Okay. So just thinking about what's going out there. And, and John, just you can just pick any favorite quote. It doesn't have to be the year because the, the quote that I had in my mind, I just thought of it because we think a lot about the challenges facing our state. But Mike Levitt is known for, um, you know, coining the quote, in Utah, our problems are big enough to see and small enough to solve. And I love this about Utah because when we have a challenge – we collaborate, we have all this social capital, we have these networks of trust. And, you know, a lot of that comes from, from being, you know, who we are and, and a, a mid-sized state that, that can 
get on top of problems. And I try to think what it must be like to be in California. I think it should be divided up into like four or five states. Like, how do they do things? Yeah. So anyway, that's mine. Okay. Well, I have two because I would like to reference Barbenheimer, the Barbie (laughs) Oppenheimer um, scene. That that was the top story. (laughs) That was the top story. So I was um, a fan of both, actually. I saw both um, Barbie and Oppenheimer in the theater. And I feel like I'm finally in a stage of life where I'm getting back into the movie theaters more often. But um, Killian Murphy playing Oppenheimer is quoted in the film. Uh, We thought we might start a chain reaction that would destroy the world. And I believe we did. Mm. And so the impact of, you know, the 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 bomb uh, and kind of how that's playing out, I think, in some of my anxieties about what's happening on the global scale now when we think about the war and conflicts that we're in. And <laughs> I mean it, it lightly, but of course, the iconic line from Barbie where they're having the dance party and she just says, do you guys think about dying? And the music just stops, right? <laughs> I think there's this sense of uh, sort of a deeper existential question that we're asking about the world that we're living in, the life that we're living in. And Barbie was about that. Um, And so I think if you haven't seen those movies, I recommend them. Yeah. All right, John, what have you got? She's looking at me because she knows I haven't seen- For your quote of the year. I haven't seen either one. So um, this is one of my favorite quotes, uh, George Bernard Shaw. The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable man persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. So he said that this year. Therefore, <laughs> all progress depends on the unreasonable man. On the okay. Are you all thinking about it? Depends on the unreasonable man. Yeah, yeah. Are you thinking because about a particular you're unreasonable looking at man? The dynamic, which is, if you're driving change, you're unreasonable. You're expecting something different. Yeah. And stuff, and so you're trying to change the world to your vision of the future. And you're persisting in that. Do you think and that's we, where change comes from? Do you think we have a positive and a negative example from this year that you would call forward? Uh, well, whenever somebody's out starting a business or other things like that, that is always somebody being unreasonable, trying to do something different. Disrupt. To disrupt. Yeah. Uh, we've got about a minute left in this uh, part of the program. Uh, John, was there a big surprise for you in the past year? Something that surprised you? I mean, from my perspective, I'm going to do the the meteoric rise in housing prices. Now, it wasn't just this year, but uh-huh. just to put it in together in our minds and start to understand that, that's uh, that caught us by surprise from a policy lens. Okay. Um, I'm going to say, you know, there's a lot of dysfunction in D.C. I was a little surprised that, uh, what did we take, 14 rounds or 15 rounds, whatever, to pick a speaker? Yeah. And then less than a year later, we bounced him, and then we spent a few weeks trying to pick another speaker and going around and around and around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's surprising, that, that was surprising. By any measure, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll give kudos to Congress that I think is also deeply dysfunctional and has shown that they really are are not a body that can lead. I I do think kicking out George Santos was the right thing to do, and it surprised me. I honestly did not think they would take that move. Yeah, interesting. Well, we've got more good stuff for you in our next segment. Stay tuned. I'm Natalie Gochner with John Dougal and Shereen Gorbani. Shereen Gorbani on the left. John Dougal on the right. Natalie Gawkner in the political center, and this is both sides of the aisle. We are uh, taping a program for the new year that will feature things that are of interest at the end of a year, at the start of a year, however you want to think about it. And I want to ask my co-hosts here a little bit about elected officials in 2023. Uh, You know, is there one that you saw, John, that had like the biggest rise, like just, you know, climbed in reputation or... Just, I'm well, talking about something positive here. Someone who, who really increased their stock. 
Uh, not, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if you talk about rise and fall, you got different folks like, you know, Kevin McCarthy, rise as speaker and yet fell and other things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't usually look to celebrate elected officials. I'm usually looking to say, how do we think about the forgotten men and women that are paying the bills for government and providing for their families and other things like that? And those are the folks I like to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if we're talking elected officials, I, it would be difficult for me to leave the year without commenting on what we've seen from the attorney general's office. So uh, Sean Reyes, who I think largely was able to, in many ways, kind of move under the radar, mm-hmm. um, had significant attention placed on him because of, uh, I think, a relationship with a really troublesome person, Tim Ballard. So everything that's kind of come out around the Operation Underground Railroad and then our our own attorney general's involvement in that and then also uh, conduct otherwise, uh, he's high on my list. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys, I'm I'm just doing it differently than you guys are. <laughs> I'm going with Blake Moore. I mean, look at what he's done. You know, he's become. What has he done? <clears throat> well, he's become. Leadership. Yeah, he's become the. And and what has he done? Well, my point is that it's it's the highest level we've ever had in the House representing the state of Utah, and and you know he's junior in that role. And I, when you say what has he done, I mean, I've seen him interacting with constituents in a really powerful way in the state. I see him attending things. I see him being very present. I've heard his ads about town halls. I haven't gone to him. But I, I think that this is a guy that is acquitting himself quite well, representing us well. So I, I put him on my list for the biggest climb and someone who's starting to show some name ID and, yeah. you know, has a lot of potential. Consistent with this, is there an elected official of the year? And John, you're going to tell us you don't. You're an anti-government guy, <laughs> and so I don't celebrate elected officials. But honestly, we live in a we democracy. We put too much on a platform, a pedestal, we, and stuff like that. Yeah, and don't but, we love to beat them down too? Yeah, they take their. But but you know, for me, my elected official of the year is Mayor Aaron Mendenhall. Aaron Mendenhall uh, ran for re-election and and you know won with a large margin. Uh, she made her case to the public in a way that I thought was really positive. What she's done for housing, for you know sustainability, for homelessness, um, for civility in public office, um, even the uh, Olympic announcement. I know that she's represented our city quite well on the international stage. She's Utah's mayor, from my perspective. So I, I'm going to go with Mayor Mendenhall. So I got to ask, and I've, I'm sorry that I'm not going to remember her name, but how about the council member out of St. George? Was it, is it Larkin, council member Larkin, who won re-election mm-hmm. in um, a, a town that's really had a lot of, it's been kind of messy. Mm-hmm. And um, when you think about the increase in incivility, there's been quite a bit of that in St. George. And I do think her re-election, so this is a little bit to the people and also to her conduct and her mm-hmm. behavior. My sense is that she seems like a person who takes community and her responsibilities very seriously and really tries to lead with a greater sense of dignity. Yeah, I know who this, I mean, this Danielle. Danielle Larkin. Larkin. Yes. That's right. I have met her. And, you know, what, what I've seen in Washington County is some of the most balanced, um, solutions-oriented, productive uh, elected officials have fallen away. Yeah. I'm doing Lowry Snow. Yeah. John know, Pike. Brad, Brad Last, John yeah. Pike. And so... And and it, it just tells you something about the um, atmosphere there, mm-hmm. the political temperature. I'm not an expert on anything in southwest Utah, but I'd like that you've given uh, Danielle Larkin a shout out. Yeah. John, you, you don't, I know you so, don't want so, to celebrate so, elected so, officials, so, but if you had so here, to. Here you're, I'm, I'm going to go with this. There's, there's one piece of advice I got from 
from a former elected official. He said, whatever you do, don't read your press headlines while you're in office. Look at it 20 years after you leave office, and then you can decide whether or not you, you serve your constituents and you provided them a benefit. So I'm going to look back in history. Okay. I'm going to say Ronald Reagan provided an amazing vision for America's future mm-hmm. and stuff like that, something that we should celebrate as a result. Yeah. I would say Jimmy Carter, his post-presidency life of service should be an example for all of us. And it was an incredible uh, leader. Uh, leader when it comes to serving your fellow man in Habitat a Christian for sense. Habitat humanity and, yeah. um, and stuff. And, and he's still with us. And, you know, his wife just passed. Um, another thing I would look at is Gerald Ford and the difficult decision he had to make with Richard Nixon and pardoning Richard Nixon. And it was not politically wise. It cost him his re-election mm-hmm. bid. And yet, in hindsight... As I study history, it appears to be the right thing to okay. have done for America's future at that point. Well, well played, John. Uh, so let's stay with you. You're and, welcome. <laughs> and stay with the uh, sort of presidential uh, politics. I, and I make love some, history too. And make some presidential primary predictions. So we're, you know, we're sitting here in late December. We've got, you know, we've got Iowa, New Hampshire, Super Tuesday. We're, we're in the, you know, weeks, not at least a lot of months kind of um, time frame. you have any predictions, presidential primary predictions? Uh, so prediction I have is you're going to start to see uh, some more shake out there. Uh, Chris Christie clearly is getting pressure to drop out of New Hampshire um, as uh, the governor there is backing Nikki Haley. Um, I think for Nikki Haley, her future really rests on South Carolina. If she does well in her home state. It's a convenient place for it to rest. Mm-hmm. You know, that is That is good. But if she does poorly in her home state, if she comes in second, heaven forbid, um, I, I think that that speaks. That's the end. Yeah. And for, so for her world, and any other it's, challenger it's, to Trump. Uh, it's DeSantis, Nikki Haley that you're that's going to as the key if, as the key alternative alternative to former President Trump. Yes. Uh, my prediction is that Trump takes Iowa, um, takes New Hampshire, and it's over for the others. <laughs> Oh, so you think you, you don't too. even get to South Carolina? That's my. She needs. I think Haley needs New Hampshire. I think she can come in lower in Iowa. Um, I think the polls suggest. I mean, Chris Christie says people lie to the pollsters, but yeah, polling is suggesting it's he's going to take it. I'm grabbing my head in <laughs> frustration here because, and I'm just I have naivete. I, I I have continued to predict that the two people that are the front runners right now won't be the people that are there at the end. But my prediction's running out of time. Yeah, you know. So, so let me ask a question. Deviating from kind of our topic, we mm-hmm. got the issue in Colorado with uh, the Supreme Court there saying Trump isn't going to be on the Republican primary ballot because and, he because. Well, because of the Fourteenth Amendment and violated and, the Constitution and, 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 yep. and stuff like that, um, yes. you know, I I think that they're misreading what the constitutional amendment says and stuff like that. But it'll go to the Supreme Court and they'll they'll look at that. But I saw a headline that basically is Trump going to be indicted into office mm-hmm. because when you look and say, okay, this system stacked against him and it's unfair and other things like that, you know, what does that say? Yeah, you know, I mean, I have too much belief and faith in our country to think that this man will be uh, elected a second time. I just, I cannot but, imagine But it. if it looks to the average person that the system is stacked against them, that it's unfair, I look at the 14th Amendment and go, I don't know how the Colorado Supreme Court can do what it did because it doesn't even technically apply to the president. 
it, it applies to electors of the president and other things like that. So it doesn't even apply. So how do they even get down that path? And it I'm, does look and I'm saying that even the voting, unfair to me. The voting public will vote on character, not you know, not on these being indicted into office. I think that's how we see a second term for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, yeah. If I had to predict now, I'd say Joe Biden would win. But yeah. so okay. not the first term of Gavin Newsom. <laughs> okay, uh, another one uh, for the two of you to think of, uh, John. We'll start with you here, and uh, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, but do you have an iconic moment from the past year? Iconic moment. For yeah, the and, and, you know, maybe we should oh, define man. that. But it's something. Yeah, yeah please, please narrow well, that it's down. It's something for that endures. It's something that was uniquely different. Something that um, set apart the year. I'm just using words to say what. What does iconic mean there? So I I can't think of anything that rises to the level of you know kind of universal type of dynamics. To me. Um, there are the issues of personal growth mm. and improvement. And so tackling challenges personally, um, those become iconic moments in a person's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So your kids had some this past year? Or? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going off to do something that's been on my bucket list for 40 years. And so I'm, I'm, I'm climbing the hill and, and doing that. And so that's, that's kind of a, a fun little adventure there for me personally. So Nice. Yeah. Shereen, you got an iconic moment? I do. Um, of course, mine are rooted in politics. Certainly lots <laughs> has happened on personal fronts that has been exciting. And I had a, I had a really lovely year in many ways. Um, and uh, the story that I would say is really standing out for me in kind of the bigger context of the year and our understanding of systems being rigged was the reporting on um, Justice Clarence Thomas, um, Supreme Court Justice Clarence mm-hmm. Thomas, mm-hmm. and the ways in which, you know, I think through the reporting we understand, a billionaire um, basically bought himself a Supreme Court justice, um, had an incredibly, continues to have an incredibly close relationship um, with a person who has such immense power. And I think the lessons that we can draw from that, the decisions that we're seeing made, um, are all complicated and tainted by the understanding that we have now of what is happening behind the scenes on our Supreme Court. Yeah. You know, I just picked up my pen because I was thinking I got, you notice on this one, I gave myself more time to think and just made you all talk about it. But, you know, when you think of iconic things, you could think of like the new statues at the Salt Lake City International Airport, the yeah. the sculptures, the beautiful The return mountains. of the arch. Yeah. And then the return of the Hoberman Arch yeah. and the Olympics. I mean, this is beautiful, right? Yes. Where where have we been for 20 years yeah. not having that there? But, but uh, you know, uh, I had a birth of a grandson. It's my first... Uh, that is a big moment. Yeah, yeah. my first uh, grandchild. You d- you don't have this. Or do you have it, John? I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. Almost two-and-a-half. And, and so you it's don't. Like, no, right. ways away. Yeah, so this is my daughter. And, um, you know, so that makes it extra beautiful because, you you know, I'm a woman. I watched my daughter, you know, go through childbirth and, and, and birth this beautiful young man named Jethro. Um, but I'm just having uh, just a wonderful time spending you know, these priceless moments with the infant. Yeah. Has it changed? Has it changed you in, can you, can you give us a couple of examples of ways it's changed you? Well, for one, I'm enjoying the holiday season and Christmas. So I'm one of those that has always struggled with Christmas and the holidays. We had that in common. (laughs) Yeah. And I I realized it maybe 15, 20 years ago, and then I started changing my behaviors and I got a little bit better about it. But I've, what happens is a working professional mother, it always pushed me over the top. I was always operating at full, you know, kilter. Yeah. And then 
you put Christmas on top of that, and it's it, too much. Yeah, I felt, and I, you know, I, I suffered during the holidays, and uh, so I've been doing better for a long time in the holidays. But boy, it's I'm I'm like in a good mood these days. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and the other thing is, okay, it's great to have the grandchild, but it's great to see your child stepping into that role as a parent. Yeah. And 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 maturing and and that relationship. In the one minute left in the program, each of you give me a New Year's resolution, Shireen. Uh, fight for peace. Yeah, okay. Challenge yourself. Look for something to overcome. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going more like personal to me, but I'm, I'm going to lock in to sort of positive psychology. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I've been reading a lot about happiness. It's because of my friendship with Arthur Brooks. So Not I'm, us? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, though, too. one piece of it is connection. And, and I'm so grateful for the listeners who spend their time with us. Thank you for the feedback that you send. And thank you to both of you for um, sticking with me, even though I know we often disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John? Uh, happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. We sure enjoy uh, being with you each week. Natalie Gawkner with John Dougal and Shereen Gorbani. Happy New Year. And a big thanks to our producer, Anthony Skoma. <laughs>